Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. What I tell you is that Pacino is that Pacino fucking spitting image. My name is Jim Scampoli, and I have only just seen Mario Puzo's The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone. My name is Jacob Burrows, and I've seen every episode of The Sopranos. Yes, I won't shut up about it. And I've seen multiple versions of The Godfather Part 3 uh, from years and years ago. I've seen it. So, ah, who's the, who's the expert now, eh? And I've seen Mario Cuzo's The Cuzo Brothers and the, the Death of Michael Corleone, the new title, as we all know. Welcome, Jim. Welcome to being in the uh, minority of having not seen the thing. You've yeah. never watched The Godfather Part 3. Well, I was, yeah, I was about to say, my name is Jim Scampoli, and I've still never seen The Godfather Part 3, uh, <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, yeah. I have seen Mario Puzo's The Godfather Coda, The Death of Michael Corleone, though. Right. Uh, yeah. I, spoiler alert for my input. You have seen The Godfather 3. It's, uh, you've pretty much seen the same same thing. But we're, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about the third Godfather film and the new version, as Jim has said, that was released in late 2020. Uh, we did Godfather 1 and 2, uh, but then we just had to wait for the new version to be released 30 years after it actually came up, um, came out. So, yeah, uh, I guess... Maybe a couple of details just to set the scene here. Uh, it is, of course, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. It came out in 1990, the original. So for the 30-year anniversary, they recut it. Has uh, a, a big part of the same cast, mostly forgotten culturally, I feel, <laughs> in comparison, apart from the line at the very start of this episode. Yes, I mean, because even as a kid, I remember the the commercials, like the TV commercials for The Godfather 3 and that part. Um, and I was only like nine years old or something like that, eight years old. Uh, but I remember that. And of course, I mean, with The Sopranos, they do that line a bunch of times. So that's why I had to use the clip. Um, and I mean, I guess we're not jumping too far ahead, but I can see why people are like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is not a good film. Because uh, it's not... But I mean, before we get into even that, uh, this is I know this has probably been talked about, but like, what is up with this Coppola family, dude? I mean, I, I, I didn't even realize that Talia Shire is Francis Ford Coppola's sister um, who plays, uh, who is she? Oh, she plays Connie. I, I never mm. even knew that until like today when I was just kind of going through some like basic stuff. And of course you have Nicolas Cage... Uh, is, you know, Coppola's nephew. And uh, then you have, like, yeah. Jason Schwartzman is Talia Shire's son. Uh, and then, of course, you have Sophia Coppola, who's in this movie, famously or infamously in this movie, uh, who was, mm. then became a, you know, uh, respected director. Much maligned actress <laughs> becomes respected <laughs> director. Uh, but, like, yeah. the reach of this family, my goodness... Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I guess I kind of knew those, but it, the only one that sort of sticks out, out is obviously Sofia Coppola in this one, who basically because of how everyone hated her in this, like across the board, uh, she was in a in an early part of her acting career and was just like no, uh, or maybe the world was like no. To be fair, but uh, she started making films instead. I haven't actually seen that many of her films, but obviously, Lost in Translation, yeah, is uh, really good. Like everyone likes that, I'm pretty sure, uh, and it's a great film in my opinion. Um, so yeah, good move from her. She's not great in this. Uh, it's funny you should say that it's like this is not a good film because I'm like. Well, this is a fair bit better than the other version, <laughs> the one everyone's seen for 30 years. You've seen the new and improved version, Jim. So, yeah, just suck on that for a minute. Well, a few things, too. I guess apparently Julia Roberts was supposed to be Mary, and then she dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. Madonna wanted to play the role, but Coppola said she was too old. Uh, an actress by the name of Rebecca Schaefer, who I'm not familiar with, this seems like more of a factoid. It doesn't necessarily mean she's going to get the part. They're just like, she was set to audition, 
But then she was murdered by an obsessed fan who was stalking her. So that's great. And then um, Winona Ryder was then cast and then dropped out uh, last minute. And then that basically came down to Sofia Coppola. Kind of knowing that is better to me because when I was first watching it, because I kind of forgot that I knew Sofia Coppola was in this until her character popped up and she immediately stands out. And then I was like, oh, yeah, on Gilmore Girls, they talk about like I, the, my reference point is before Rory's going to go to Yale. Rory's going to Yale, by the way. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, uh, Jim's wearing a T-shirt that says Rory's going to Yale in universe shirt made by Kirk. Uh, if I like, I'm pretty sure. Didn't we have a thing of referencing Gilmore Girls on every episode of the Sopranos podcast? I think well we done, did. Jim. And uh, I do remember that before Rory goes to Yale, they have like a week where they're going to hang out and they're going to watch all the Godfather movies. And they're going to rewatch the, the Sofia Coppola death scene or something like that. Those plans go out the window because they have the date wrong of orientation. But anyways, that's well, my reference course. point coming into this. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and they, and they quote the, it on The Sopranos <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and, you know, The Sopranos, I guess. Uh, but yes, I mean, well, the biggest thing that stood out to me in this movie is that it, I mean, it, it felt like a movie that was attempting to look like a Godfather movie, but then it had like kind of the trappings of uh, like a shitty 90s movie, even though it was like 1990. Mm. So it was like still the early part of the decade, like especially the scene when um, Vincent and like the reporter like are like after the grips of uh, coitus and like a, the guys bust in like with the knives, like, like he sends her to go get a drink or whatever. And then like the guys have knives and then he's got a gun. Like it felt very, I don't know. It felt like a, like a cheap thriller or something like that. And then even in the scene with like, ah, they thought I was out and they pulled me back in. It felt, it feels very fake because it's like the lightning and stuff and the thunders. It feels, it doesn't feel organic or natural. Everything mm-hmm. feels like such a set, stage play and it's weird to think that this came out the same year that goodfellas did yeah. uh because it i don't know it feels like someone forgot how to make like a 70s movie or something like that because obviously this is supposed to take place in like 78 or 79 coming off of the other movies that were made in the 70s but took place in like yeah like the 50s or flashback to like the 30s and shit but i don't know yeah. it just the look and the feel of it felt off to me uh, and that, that's just what kept like coming up as I was watching this film. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it, it's commonly known to be not the best of the three. I mean, in my opinion, as I think I've said previously, like the, the film, the Godfather, the first one is fucking amazing, like fantastic masterpiece. The second one, I still enjoy quite a lot. And then there's the third one and we're here now to talk about it. But, uh, yeah, interesting factoid about that scene you mentioned. Uh, I think that's one of the few scenes that sort of remained from the original version of the script that was written years and years before the film was actually made. Uh, like the first line, obviously, on Wikipedia. And and as is obvious from anyone watching this, it wasn't like, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola was like, I need to complete this story. Yeah. I need to tell the last chapter. Uh, it's, I mean, he said that he has always seen the two films as, like, the Corleone saga. And, like, as is written here, he's intended for part three to be an epilogue. Um, and it, but, but, like, more importantly, a dire financial situation initially caused by the failure of One from the Heart from 1982 compelled him to take up Paramount's offer to make a third installment. So, obviously, Paramount is like, make another Godfather film, make another Godfather yeah. film. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I think I got an idea to spin this, uh, make this happen. And it just doesn't have the same magic as the other ones uh i think it has some good moments and i think this recut has for me because my bar is so low from watching the previous version it's kind of let those moments shine um but it's still not a fantastic film yeah i mean i'm probably being harsher on it than i should be but i guess it's even though i mean part of it might even just be because like 
basically my whole life, everyone's like, yeah, Godfather 3 sucks. Uh, <laughs> Godfather 3 yeah. sucks. So, and I you even... think that would do the opposite and set your bar really low so you kind of enjoy it, but it seems like it did, that didn't work this time. Yeah, it was because even like I had a thought as I was watching this. is like, did I just go in expecting a bad movie? So now I'm just like leaning into that it's bad because, I mean, I mean, I can't so go, go so far as to say it's a good movie, but obviously it's not like the worst movie I've ever seen or anything like that. Um, yeah. I mean, Pacino's haircut's rough. Uh, <laughs> the, like his acting styles, it's like, it's just, it's tough because, oh, you know what? Here's, here's the perfect explanation. Like in a lot of ways, Godfather 3 is so ahead of its time because the Godfather 3 feels like the sequels and reboots we see now where we're pulling, mm. where we're like, now we're checking in with fucking the Goonies and what about their kids and shit? Uh, yeah. It feels like such like checking those type in of movies. on, hey, remember that guy who Michael <laughs> stayed with in the first Godfather film? Yes. What's he up to now? <laughs> it's, it's totally that movie because, yeah, well, Godfather 2 came out in 74. So, yeah, this movie came out in 90. So and it's it's what we do now where we pull stuff that's 20 years old. And I mean, obviously we love Cobra Kai and that Cobra Kai is like a thing like that. But mm. there's for every Cobra Kai, there's tons of garbage versions of that. And the Godfather yeah. three is kind of one of the first things to do that to be like, yeah, let's check back in. And now they're old and maybe they have their kids are around and how are these old are pe- uh, the characters we like from the old movies can interact with these new shitty characters that nobody likes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um so i guess i would like to ask you since you've se- recently watched it and maybe you have notes or whatever but like how would you describe the plot of this film if you had to condense it down for someone who hasn't seen it yet because to me the godfather 3 looking back on it was always a bit of a mess no, like yeah. there's a lot going on in the godfather 2 as well to be fair and you kind of have to keep track of the plots a little bit but in this one it's uh, a lot more convoluted the plot so like what's your what how would you explain the plot to someone who hasn't seen the film well because honestly on my letterboxd you can follow me on letterboxd by the way what am i jim darko I don't know. Well, Anyways, on my letterbox, <laughs> yeah, I'm Jim, Dar- Jim Darko. <laughs> on my letterbox, I put my my little blurb for this movie is just what the fuck happened, and I mean that in a few ways because I mean like yeah, you know what the fuck happened from you know Godfather two to this, but also in the movie what the fuck happened because even by the end because every Godfather movie obviously we're building to this. You know, this is literally an operatic moment because they're at the opera. Like, you know, obviously we have like the baptism. We always have a thing going on and then the death's happening. But in this one, I was yeah. even like, who who are these people? Like, what's going on? Like, because <laughs> yeah. I know obviously we have Michael who's dealing with the Catholic Church. And I didn't really even pick this up from the movie personally. It was mostly like reading the plot summary online after is that he's chased... Like, I, I know always that Michael's been trying to go legitimate. That's been a thing from the other movies. He's bringing the business mm. to legitimate uh, resources. But they're talking about the reason why he's working with the church is he's trying to save his own soul because of what he did to Fredo. And honestly, I didn't really pick that up too much. Uh, I mean, obviously, he does have moments where he's like, oh, Fredo, Fredo, and when he does his confession. But I took it more as it was, this is another scam business thing he's doing and then he gets caught up in the whole rigmarole of like the vatican bank and the pope and then the pope needs to approve it but then you got vincent mancini up and comer uh i don't know it's it's hard to really even grasp what's going on because then you have the super assassin that's on his tail and they're like he always gets his man like that type of shit (laughs) Uh, yeah. I was kind of just glossing over. I, I mean, I don't mean to be unfair to this movie because I'm sure there are some fans out there that think it's underrated. But it just it wasn't really coming together or working for me. And I'm I really missed not having Duvall in it as Tom Hagen, yeah. and that's another one I was reading up on. Basically, you know, it was just an, another money issue. Wasn't that the thing with like was it like Clemenza or whatever in part two? 
where he wanted some money and they didn't want to pay him. So they just made a new character. Uh, yeah, I know that's definitely the case with Duval. I, I don't remember about Clemenza, but probably uh, because, you know, he wanted to be on the pay, same pay scale and they were just like, yeah, whatever. Well, <laughs> we'll I like his a new character. I like his quote on it. Well, because first Coppola is like, uh, you know, on the commentary, I guess he's like Duval refused to take part unless he's paid a salary comparable to Pacino's. So that kind of makes Duval sound like an asshole uh, because it's like, well, Pacino's clearly the lead. You're obviously not going to get paid the same. But then Duvall said in an interview, he's like, look, if they paid Pacino twice what they paid me, that's fine. But not three or four times, which is what they did. And I think that mm. makes it sound more reasonable uh, yeah. where, you know, he just he, he he must wet his beak as well. Uh, and I love that he also says that in 2010, he confirmed that he never regretted the decision <laughs> of turning it down because he's almost like proven right because everyone hates the movie yeah. and shit. Uh, yeah, but. No, that is great. Uh, in regards to you were talking about, you know, the the Catholic Church and and Michael's motivation to maybe redeem himself through this work. You're right; that doesn't really come across. Um, I'll, I have a long list because I'm a fucking nerd. So what I did is I downloaded both versions of this, put yes. it into an editing program. You know, I did this and put them next to each other. And I was kind of I didn't watch the whole movie like that, obviously, but I went through and I was like, right. Because there is an obvious edit that I can mention, first of all, which is that the scene at the very start of the film, this is probably the biggest change, the scene at the very start where he's talking to uh, Archbishop Gilday, uh, make, he's the one requesting from the start that he wants Michael's help with the Vatican Bank and that. That scene is 40 minutes into the original cut. Wow. Um, putting it at the front makes so much more sense because imagine watching this from the start and there's no like setup for anything. It just kind of starts. And where what we have originally is the actual ceremony of him getting like an award from the Catholic Church uh, or whatever. Um, and it's this in a massive church. Uh, and it's sort of the, the reason I brought it up. It's sort of interspersed with flashbacks to The Godfather 2, which is a bit like it, it. I guess it's meant to set up that he is, you know, he's torn up about what he did to his brother 20 years ago because we see him thinking about that. We basically see the end of The Godfather 2 as he's getting this award for being a great Christian. So I guess that kind of set up that plot line a bit more, but I massively prefer what they did of having like the Vatican thing from the start because watching the original movie 40 minutes in you're like wait this is all suddenly about some fucking vatican bank what's going on because it's such a big part of the story but it just comes in there so setting that up and especially having like the film start with someone coming to the godfather requesting help from him yes it just makes sense with the other films you that's know? that's exactly what i was gonna say because it's so weird to hear that because it feels so natural because he's in the godfather uh, you know he's he's his father now, and he's doing he, yeah. giving favors and all that shit, and so it just makes so, so much sense that it is the start of it. So it is weird to hear that. Yes, and so it happens like forty minutes in, if you recall. There's this montage of like newspapers about Immobiliare and the whole takeover, and then Michael's being questioned by like Immobiliare stakeholders, and. All of that felt very like out of the blue when I originally watched the original version. Whereas now you set that up as the very first thing in the film and then you reconnect to it 40 minutes later and you're like, oh yeah, that thing from the start is happening now. And it also seems like he gets the Vatican Award thing because yeah. he's doing this whatever thing, which isn't the case at all in the original. Okay, yeah, because that's, that's how I read it as well. That yeah, he's getting this award now because he's in with them and you know handing over money and all this shit yeah um and also like i i watched the party because i i do like the party at the start you know it's uh it's great to have a big uh corleone party at the start of your film like in the other two ones basically um and in this one I, I i lined them up and watched the scenes and it's interesting how because it's cut to music and dancing like they keep the same they cut back to the same stuff, but they kind of intersperse some other footage in ways that make sense to me. And generally speaking, like besides that big edit that I mentioned and the different ending, which we'll get to, uh, besides that, most of the edits are just like time cuts that Im do improve the film, in my opinion. Like it, none of them are massive or aggressive. It's more about starting a scene 
already in media res, like starting it later instead of having fucking people drive up to a place, get out of the car, mm. go inside, say hello, which was a fair bit of what made it drag. Like it still kind of drags compared to the other Godfather films, which are, you know, masterpieces. Um, but it, it works better because they've cut some of the, they, they've trimmed some of that fat that doesn't actually need to be there. And it gives it a better clip uh, if you can imagine that, because it's still not a fantastic clip, but it's a better version of the film, in my opinion. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And because even like, I mean, this is somewhat of a sidetrack, but like the whole idea of the Vincent Mancini character, because he shows up and I'm like, who is this? And they're kind of like trying to explain that he's like a cousin. And then you find out it's like Sonny's bastard kid. And yeah. At first, I'm like, well, why wouldn't it just be Michael's son? But then it makes sense. Like, of course, Michael would not want his his whole thing is he never wanted to be part of the family business, but it was just so, he was so natural at it and it just fell on his shoulders. He would never want that for his own son. But then he sees this, you know, hothead, just like his brother, just uh, his brother's son, just like his brother. And it's almost like he has this replacement for his own son. But like. I don't know if it's just because it's not set up properly in my mind. Like the whole time I'm like just second guessing this guy. I'm like, wait, why is, why is he just deciding to do this? He's bringing him around and doing all this shit. And now he's just involved. And I guess it's just because he wants, he does want a son to be with him, but he doesn't want his son to be with him. Uh, that's like the best I could come up with as far as a read. But I just didn't love the character because he just seems corny. Yeah. His son is also uh, kind of slightly estranged, as we see from the start. Like, I mean, he wants to be an opera singer, doesn't want to be a lawyer. I, I am. The thing is, like, Michael probably doesn't want his son involved in any illegal stuff, but he's also keeps saying over and over that we're legitimate now. And I guess they, the way I read it, they're supposed to be at this point. Pretty much, they've gotten rid of the casino stuff and whatever. And this immobiliare thing is like. Uh, you know, it's Wall Street. It's like, he, yeah, he's still evil, but it's not criminal, the business he's doing anymore. But then, you know, he gets pulled back in, obviously, and that's why he needs someone like Vincent um, or Vinny. Um, but yeah, my assumption was that maybe he wanted his son to be a lawyer and then kind of work with him, you know, with legitimate stuff. But we True. never really see that, obviously, because he, he it wants to go off and be an opera singer. He does say he needs lawyers. He's always talking about that. He more yeah. lawyers. The ultimate gangsters, if you will. Exactly. Uh, so is there anything else major that they either like move around or anything? Or like you said, it's just kind of weird time cuts, just kind of otherwise like the the meat of the movie from there is kind of the same. A lot of it is um, like there were several things when I rewatched this. Well, when I watched this new version for the first time, I was like, oh, I wonder if that was an edit. And I went back and checked and no, it was exactly the same. <laughs> and I was just convincing myself that there were more edits than there were. And I think that's what basically every reviewer of this has said as well, that um, that, you know, it's the same film pretty much. But there's the ending. Um uh, which I guess I'll tell you now because we'll we'll get into it maybe more later. But like <laughs> in the ending, um, when we go into the future, right? And he's just sitting there. You remember that bit? Yes. Yeah. In the original version, he falls off the chair and dies. So, <laughs> which is a bit goofy. Yeah. And then it just ends. Yeah. And we're like, oh, okay. And it felt a bit like Francis Ford Coppola wanted to make a film called the death of michael corleone and he brought it to the studio and the studio was like how about instead we don't name it that but he does die at the end uh, yeah <laughs> and now those two have been switcherooed because it's about his moral death so having him die at the end would just makes the title literal like it's literally just his death having him survive at the end and just live with his fucking regrets is his moral death instead. So that's a change. That's the only other major change, really. I, I did kind of hear about that because I read a part of an interview with Coppola, and he was a little bit too proud of himself to be like, he was, he was even saying like, it's called the death of Michael Corleone, but he doesn't die at the end. <laughs> <laughs> like he was like congratulating himself in a way but he did die in the original that's the thing he still made that film like and it was such a weird edit as well i mean maybe you still find it really weird but obviously his daughter dies and we just cut 
to some an unspecified time in the future and he's, he's just sitting there sad and it's you and that's weird enough like that's the statement that this version makes but then in the original version it's that and then he also falls off the the chair he's sitting on like he puts on his glasses and falls off the chair and then the dog is kind of coming up to him and then it cuts and like directed by uh francis ford coppola it doesn't even have the oh, quote wow. so it has a quote at the end yeah, here now that talks about a sicilian never forgetting or whatever uh that wasn't there either yeah, I mean, they didn't quite need the quote. I I, I got it, uh, but it's fine. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I do think it's a it is a better, it's a better ending. You know, it, it's 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 more suffering. It's more that yeah, he's dead, but he's alive, and he's just living in his own suffering. And it also fits better with the endings of the other films. Uh, well, maybe yeah. not the first one as much, but like the second one. It's similar to the second one. The second one, it's like he is alone uh, because of like this life he's built, but at least he still has the power and everything like that, even though he's kind of tortured by it. But this, he's literally tortured by like losing everything essentially. And Coppola loves to talk about how like he enjoys the idea that people shit on Sophia's performance. And to him, it's a lot like the movie and how the character of Mary is killed for her father's sins. And he feels like when people go after Sophia's performance, they're just going after (laughs) him. And he sees himself as Michael at like suffering his own way because of that. Uh, And now we're 30 years later and he's sitting staring out into space going, I should recut that film and show everyone I'm right all along. And I guess it it is kind of unfair. Like she's not... I mean, she's not good. She's not terrible, terrible. It's just, it just feels very out of place for the movie. Uh, so, I don't know. Well, I mean, let's talk about the incest. Because yeah. what the fuck, Jim? Like, the, I, could, I can bear her performance. It's fine. It's just these two have no chemistry at all. Yeah. And the only way this works, and it's so central to the plot, like if this was a side plot, fine, but it's so central to everything going on and they have absolutely no chemistry. Um, and it, like, it would have to, be, they would have to have this fucking fiery passion spark between them for the whole film to make sense, really. And they absolutely don't, right? Yeah, they need like a Lannister romance, right? Yeah. For it to work. Yeah. Uh, but no, you're right. Because, I mean, I was even thinking, I was like, why is this even a thing? And it's like, oh, obviously it's a thing because, you know, he has to be the one to step in and tell Vincent that, like, he has to give up his daughter to be part of this life. And that causes, like, a its own wedge, which then leads to her demise. Like, I get why it's there, but you're absolutely correct. It doesn't, the performances and the chemistry don't sell it enough for it to matter the way it should. So there's a couple of scenes that still feel like I don't know they're not amazing and but necessarily but I they still work for me and I, I'd be interested in hearing if they did anything for you but like I en- I enjoyed Michael giving his first confession in 30 years or whatever like uh, there's that scene it's pretty good I do enjoy even despite the lightning and the goonery I enjoy every time I think I'm out to pull me back in maybe it's yeah. just because you know I'm I'm the Bart meme of say the line <laughs> maybe that's why I enjoy it I uh, do but I also <laughs> I do enjoy that scene I get why they used it in all the marketing and it's a famous scene I do agree yeah and there's I mean it's a bit cartoony all of the the helicopter shootout where they kill the whole commission or whatever but I also still and it kind of felt like a scene that was put in because we need more mob shit in a way um but I still enjoy that also I don't know on some base level of getting everyone gunned down and Michael just having to get out of there I like that I don't know how you felt about that one but it was yeah. weird it's a bit much cuz it does yeah. feel where they're like Hey man, it's the fucking '90s. We could do this shit. Let's do this shit. Like it's like Die Hard or something. But <laughs> you're right. It's still. I still do kind of like it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess that's it. I don't like the scene because uh, Michael and Kay. It's a lot. We get a lot about them as well and their sort of relationship, which we have obviously had in the first two films. And you're right. It's kind of an interesting thing to see these people pick up the characters after so many years 
And uh, sometimes that's going to work and sometimes it's not going to work. But just having the opportunity of showing them as the next generation uh, is an interesting thing that on some level I enjoy seeing. But at the same time, I always remember how like goofy it felt to me when they're all over in Sicily for the the son's performance and Kay gets like tricked into a car and Michael turns around like, yeah. ah, buongiorno, where can I take you, <laughs> madam? And she's like delighted and I'm like, wait, don't you still hate him? But I guess they're getting along then. But it's still like, uh, and here we are driving through the Italian countryside and I'm like, this is just such a moment of like, things have to be good now so that everything can be broken later because Kay and him have not gotten on in like 30 years to my understanding or 20 at least. <laughs> it is silly when he, yeah, he's just the driver. I do like the way that like segment ends because they kind of find some some familiar ground where you know they're almost like not quite you know not gonna like get back together again or anything like that but when they kind of have the talk and it's like a dining room or something and it almost like they're finding that relationship again but then it ends very similar to how part one ends where michael gets pulled away again and I think it's even framed in a similar spot where, like, it's kind of he's whispering to a guy and they're talking about, I think he's yeah. getting the news about how the guy died. And you just see her in the doorway. It's almost like before the door gets shut on her. It's like, oh, yeah, this is mm-hmm. why this is why we are the way we are. This is why things went the way they did. I, I did like that. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, there's a lot, obviously a lot of... Uh, echoes of other films which you know is kind to some degree like watching the hobbit and it's like references to lord of the rings yeah um stuff like that to some extent but i i also think it's um uh, you know i don't know i i don't know how to talk around uh whether we like the film or not but it, it's not an amazing film like i i think i just come off more positive because uh I don't know. I've seen it before, and this was a slight improvement, and it moved faster, so I didn't feel like as bored. Genuinely, I, I because I did the edit thing. They said the runtime of the old and new films, but I cut out the uh, credits to try to make a, an actual judgment. And so the old version is two hours forty-two minutes and thirty-six seconds, and the new version is two hours thirty minutes and fourteen seconds. So it's a difference of about twelve minutes, mm. which obviously. It's still two and a half hours, but it makes a, a hell of a difference when that's compounded over taking out some bullshit. There's a, there's a scene that isn't necessarily bullshit, but in the original version, there's a scene where, you know, Vinny, when Michael's in the hospital, he goes out and kills Zaza, Zazu? Zaza. Yeah. And he goes out and kills him, and he gets the all clear from, uh, from like, Connie, right? Yeah. Um, but like the next scene, he says he got the all clear. So that scene wasn't necessary and they just cut it out. And that's just very enjoyable for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Where you just find where, you, okay, we just, we don't need this. It's redundant. Now, yeah. And when he's in the hospital as well, there's a scene where he's talking to the Don who turns out to be the bad, the bad guy, the piece of shit Don, you know, the one who seems all helpless, but they poison him with a cannoli or whatever. Yeah. There's a scene where he talks to him in like the hospital before he leaves the hospital. Also unnecessary. They talk later. It's fine. You know, they cut that out. You know, now I think about it. Um, I bet you that guy wish he didn't take the cannoli, huh? Should have te- taken yeah. the gun. Should have not have left the gun. Take the cannoli. <laughs> Get it? Okay, this is a reference <laughs> to The Sopranos, but it's been like a year. No, so. it's a reference <laughs> to Godfather 1 when they say, like, oh. leave the gun, take the cannoli. But then uh, that guy right. took the cannoli. <laughs> look, look where that got him. It's a good point. It's yeah. a good point, Jim. Now, is it? Um, I, I don't know if I read this wrong or not. I think because I was reading a little bit about some of the differences. Does does it show Michael screaming over uh, Mary dying longer in the original, or did I just misread that? I think it might. I feel like he's screaming for ages in the uh, in the original cut. There, I don't have my comparison pulled up. Yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of screaming that I remember. I don't know if it's. I guess he still screams. I don't know. A there's still a one. lot of screaming yeah. in this version as well, <laughs> Jim. So true. I'm not really sure. <laughs> Very true. Um, yeah, it's just a weird thing. Well, because and the thing is, Francis Ford Coppola in general, like, 
I don't know if it's just natural when when artists, directors, actors, whatever, when they get older, because he just he changed a lot. Because this is around when he put out, I think the next film after this is Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is another one I don't really remember. I remember seeing it when I was young, um, mm-hmm. not liking it at all. I wonder if I'd like it now or not. But it's just weird because he was the guy that made obviously Godfather One, Godfather Two, Apocalypse Now even like The Outsiders, and then he started making different movies. And it's not so much that he fell off. It's just whatever his style or instinct was didn't gel as much with people. And then he keeps going back and retinkering these movies. And I think I already mentioned it. I, I do not like his Outsiders redo that he did. He, he did like he changed all the music and did some weird cuts to it, and I hated it. Uh, I haven't watched, I mean, there's like four different versions of Apocalypse Now. The latest director's cut I haven't checked out yet. It's kind of like a combination of like the theatrical and the redux where it's like somewhere in between. So it's just, it's just weird. It's just weird how... Yeah, I don't even really know which version to watch anymore of that because you have to keep track of all these different versions and like, wait, which one's actually the good one? Um, Yeah, what's Because in this case, I do think this is the better version. Um, but I, I still feel like, you know, it's not that different that I, I would, you know, go to the theater and watch it because it's, I think it was kind of overhyped to me because they were like, oh, holy new ending or whatever. You literally just cut the ending sooner. <laughs> yeah. You just cut out the last bit and made it shorter, which does improve it. Uh, you moved one scene. Like, it is better. I think this is the version of The Godfather 3 to watch if you're going to watch it. But also, do you need to watch it is the next question, I guess. (laughs) Well, even like, did you read the stuff about the potential sequel that was canceled? It sounds so bad. Um, uh, Coppola stated the idea for the fourth film was discussed, but Mario Puzo died before they were able to write it. Um, It was a potential script told in a similar narrative to part two would have De Niro reprising his role as a younger Vito Corleone in the 30s, and then Leonardo DiCaprio was slated to portray a young Sonny Corleone, gaining the Corleone's family political power. And then Vincent, during the 80s, running the family business through 10 years of destructive war, haunted by the death of his cousin Mary, and eventually losing the family's respect and power. Um, uh, uh, Garcia, who played Vincent Corleone, claimed the script was nearly produced. But again, it just sounds like they're just trying to redo the hits. You know, it doesn't sound that doesn't sound particularly inspired or interesting. It just sounds like what if we did like a weird version of part two that was kind of similar to part three? You know, like now we'll have three storylines going on. Uh, like uh, you don't need to see young Sonny coming up. And we don't really need to check in with Vito again in the 30s. I, I don't know. I'm, uh, it's just like, great. Thank God that didn't get made. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find where I read about... Uh, it's, it's probably Wikipedia as well. Uh, yeah, because there was a script of this film. Yeah, that, this is just from uh, talking about the production of this. The first draft of this was from uh, 79, and it is based on a story by Mario Puzo, uh, centered on Michael Corleone's son, a naval officer working for the CIA. And it's about the Corleone's family's involvement with the plot to assassinate a Central American dictator. Almost none of the elements of this script carried over to the final film, except for the scene that I mentioned earlier with the two people uh, coming in as robbers, uh, obviously, or well, not as robbers, but, you know, send a message, um, which carried over more or less the same. So... Yeah, that script didn't seem very good either, but they made this one and they changed a lot. And then I was reading how they put out those books or whatever. Like one of them is called like The Godfather's Revenge. Um, I don't know this one. They put out like books that kind of fill in the gaps between like part one and two and then Mm. between part two and three. So one of those explains like how um, Tom Hagen got killed. He was like locked in a car and then they dumped it in the river or something and he drowned like something stupid like that <laughs> uh yeah. but even just the title godfather's revenge just sounds stupid it just sounds dumb 
it, it, I guess we're like, as a society, we're kind, I guess we're better at kind of exploiting something that becomes popular and turning it into a franchise, right? But, but yeah. the, the instinct to do that has always been there because if something earns money, you can probably earn money off a sequel. And we've always created sequels uh, and stuff like that. It's just now some things very successfully spin off into franchises where The Godfather is like, you know, could have been like the the Marvel movies of its day. It just didn't quite get that much reach. But that's that explains all the books. It's like, you know, the Star Wars expanded universe stuff that they were doing as well. Like, yeah, fuck it. Let's write yeah. more books. Let's make more shit about this that people want to buy. Yeah, let's just do a war movie, which is Michael Corleone's time in war. We won't even reference The Godfather at all. We'll just follow Michael as he's like fighting in the war. And then we'll then at the end we'll play the Godfather theme. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's <laughs> like what they the would, that's what they do now. That would be the Rogue One of like just going into how he got so. Why didn't his hand shake like? The, and we see in this film his hands are shaking loads at the start, and then the end they're like like rock hard, and then he goes back to America yeah. to be the Godfather. The Vatican. I think that's part of when you were like. What what happened? What happened in this film, right? Because uh, there's a lot about the Vatican, the Vatican Bank, this uh, big real estate company that Michael wants to get into. Like, did any of that land with you? Like, it's obviously partially inspired by real events or whatnot. Um, you know, there was a pope who was only the pope for about 30 days. There's conspiracy theories about him being murdered. That's part of it. The Vatican Bank, there was a huge scandal about them. Uh, there's a guy at the end of this film who ends up hanging from a bridge. They make it look like a suicide. There was uh, a banker for, or maybe I think it was, yeah, the head of, uh, yeah, the head, head of this bank. He was found hanging uh, off a bridge in London, and it was unclear if it was suicide or murder um, at the time. Um, so there's some real reality that they've drawn inspiration from. This is not an episode of real history. If you do want uh, a real history episode on this, please uh, let us know. Um, but not going too much into the detail. Did any of that land with you? Or were you just like, uh, Vatican is it in this, I guess. It didn't quite land for me, but I could tell from what was... Because I didn't know a lot of this history, but I could tell. I was like, oh, I bet you if I look this up, this is probably they're playing with real things that happened. Like, I got that yeah. sense. I guess mostly yeah. because it felt, um, even though it's like an important part of the plot, it felt weirdly disconnected. Uh, yeah. So, it, and that's even imagine if they didn't have that scene at the beginning, right? Yeah. Because that was the other version where they didn't start off with saying, telling you it's about the Vatican. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting and it's it's fun when uh, when movies can do that. And I mean, obviously they they did that in some of the other movies, uh, Godfather movies as well, where you can kind of play around with some real stuff and be like, no, well, it's because you know Michael's involved and blah blah blah. Uh, it, it just didn't, I mean, didn't fully land with me. I, but I did get, I totally got the sense that this is a real thing that probably, or they're basing it off of real events. Yeah. I'm still like so happy that we went through and did all of the Godfather films. Like I, 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 we've talked about this already, but the Godfather one watching that. And then I, you, I went around like telling everyone like, have you rewatched it though? Cause it's still really good. And like, it's been a couple of months now, a few months. I'm definitely going to rewatch it as soon as possible. And because it's such a good film and that will kind of, I think a I, I'm happy to accept this as canon, but it will still cleanse a little bit the palette of The Godfather 3. I don't think it in any way makes the other ones uh, worse. I, the way Francis Ford Coppola said it, his goal was to make it an epilogue, and that's kind of the the best you can really hope for with this film. I think it's closer to being a, a decent epilogue now with the, the recut, uh, but still, in future, I'm probably just going to watch one and then maybe two and then go back and watch one and then yeah. maybe two and then maybe it's like <laughs> over the course of years because i i just love those films and i feel like there's so much to learn about filmmaking there and then we get to these films and you're like ah, uh, they 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 certainly made a godfather film kind of like it's yeah. not and it, it's not like even if it was good it would still not be like it's a fucking inspiration on how to make films as the same way that you know the first film is to me and, uh, I mean, they do have an upcoming TV show 
Uh, although it is, this show at least is based off of the making of the Godfather, which is a bit better than the idea of, I'm sure we're still not far behind of them doing like the Godfather four or some sort of continuation. Like what was the Corleone family up into in the nineties? Uh, what were they doing when stranger things was going on? Uh, but the, (laughs) the, the Paramount plus doing a show called the offer, uh, which is about, I mean, because we went into a little bit of some of the behind the scenes, and it does seem like there's ripe with drama and stuff there. Uh, one person who was cast who will not be a part of the, the series anymore is Army Hammer. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He played the Winklevoss twins in The Social Network, yes. and he's been under a lot of scrutiny uh, for being, um, I guess, kink-shamed, if you will. He, he likes to role-play being a cannibal or something. There were some some text messages that were leaked, but he also could be harassing and assaulting people as well. So uh, he did get, he has dropped from the TV show, The Offer. He was supposed to play producer uh, Albert Ruddy, who I'm not that familiar with, honestly, um, but no longer Army Hammer on The Offer. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I just, I wasn't looped into these uh, revelations. I, I mostly remember him from, uh, well, he's obviously... There was a period of time when he was just shoved down our throats as like a leading man, wasn't there? Kind of like Army Hammer, and like he was in the Lone Ranger. Yes, Lone he Ranger. was in. Uh, he was Ilya Kuryakin in The Man from Uncle, which I watched the original Man from Uncle, so I was like, oh my god, that's Ilya Kuryakin. <laughs> when I watched the the new film, um, yeah, interesting, interesting. Oh, I'm sure we can get into that in more detail. Actually, yeah, <laughs> looking at it, because Albert Ruddy, it's based on his book, so he was probably going to be the main character then. Uh, so there you go. Uh, makes we'll sense. I, That's something we'll have to so, check in on though. We'll have to check in on the show. I hope the show's good. I hope it's like, uh, you know, I, 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 I give them props for not just doing, Hey, let's do a Godfather TV show and just making a gangster show. At least yeah. they're thinking a little bit with it and being like, well, let's make something on the making of it. Let's option this book with some of these stories, behind the scenes Hollywood stuff. Plus we get to play with an iconic property without being like, this is Michael Corleone's grandson or granddaughter and yeah. how she is a woman in, in the criminal underworld and how everything that that entails. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, we don't need to like harp on about this film. Uh, I think we pretty much covered what we want to say about it. I, I do want to say, I know this is a Sopranos podcast, but I appreciate everyone sticking with us as we go a bit broader into some films and media that have inspired uh, the Sopranos and even inspired the Sopranos characters, because obviously we see people on the show quoting these uh, lines um, and such. But upcoming, we're, we're definitely going to have a few more James Gandolfini films for you. Yes. And The Many Saints in Newark finally will be arriving at some point. Yeah. Uh, so we have that to look forward to as well. Um, while we've been digging into uh, other stuff, uh, we really appreciate everyone who's taking the time to leave reviews. Uh, we have a couple of new reviews here. Uh, I'll read this one first. It's a one-star review. Uh, thank you for that. The the t- t- topic of it is waste of time. Um, these guys have trouble comprehending the plot, never mind any of the more complex and rewarding aspects of the show. Gavin has a little more on the ball than the co-host but overall this is just not a good use of anyone's time thank you for that review we googled it and there is another sopranos show where there's a a host called gavin so it seems like someone's on a bad review streak maybe trying to up their own sopranos podcast uh, or similar by tearing down others so a bit of fun drama there uh the original pulled back into the podcast wars yeah the original raider matt we need to find this guy because (laughs) I mean, yeah, if you want to give us a bad review, that's fine. But the impression is that you're not even reviewing our show. You're reviewing some other show. So original Raider Matt left the review on Valentine's Day, by the way. What a loser. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think he was just upset. Take that. uh, That's my revenge. Uh, but the funny thing is, we can't tell him to fuck off. We have to g- go on the show that has Gavin as a host yes. and 
be guests on that show solely for the purpose of telling this person to fuck off because they clearly have never heard our show. Um, we have a couple of other reviews. Uh, Five-star reviews are most appreciated, but, you know, honest reviews are also good. There's one from uh, Yoho. Um, the title of the review is Thanks, Best Sopranos Podcast. And the re- review is just C-Subject. Yeah. And it's five stars, as I said. So, you know, short and sweet. Appreciate it. Um, another one here from Spooky Truth Productions. The title is Paying Tribute. Um, and they say, Jim and Jacob bring a ton of enthusiasm to what they do every week. They love the show. They do their homework and they discuss it as fans, not as experts or as mafia wannabes. If you're looking to watch or rewatch The Sopranos with friends who appreciate the humor in the show as much as the violence, then this is where it's at. 86 hours is a super long trip. Consider who you are getting in the car with before you hit the road. Wow. And that's genuinely touching. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> that's great. I love that. Thank you. Much yeah. better than the original Raider, Matt. I don't know. I don't know, Gavin. <laughs> yeah, thanks, I know Gavin. With that one, Gavin. Uh, you are the one who's more on the ball. I'm definitely just the other co-host. But anyways... Um, so uh, reviews are still very much appreciated. We Our releases are obviously sporadic on this channel, but thanks for checking in. We love checking in with you. Um, and there's also loads of other shows available at showswhatyouknow.com. There's Real History that I mentioned that is now in its second season. That's where we talk about films and TV and its historical context. So it's, which sounds boring. Jim, please explain to them why it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what I was, um, we were mentioning this on my other show recently too, because it's, I know when you hear that, you probably think it's just a, it's a show about nitpicking like, ah, they didn't have rotary phones then or something like that. You know, it's that's not what it is. It's just discussing the context around a particular piece of media in a fun way. It's, you know, it's celebrating the media and also getting into the time and how things might actually play out. It's a very interesting discussion, and it's not just like a cinema sins um, breakdown of they got this wrong, they got this wrong. So, yeah, it's well worth your time. Thanks, Jim. It's great how most of the products and podcasts we create are like, here's the concept. Now, let me explain why it's not shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not like built in. But uh, new new episodes of Blank Meets Blank will also be coming soon to showswhatyouknow.com. That is uh, the show where me and Jim make up a new TV show every episode by drawing random things from a hat. Uh, so lots of good stuff going on there at showswhatyouknow.com. Uh, you can also tweet at us. That's at showswhatyouknow, the letter U for that one. Uh, or email us your thoughts on uh, The Godfather Part 3. Yes. Send those to uh, showswhatyouknowshow at gmail.com. That's a lot of plugs. Is there anything else we want to talk about, Jim? Um, I guess there's just one more thing left. What's that, Jim? Cut to black. 